on at the moment. And on uh, Friday night, I got a uh, someone sent me a little video while they were warming up for youth group. I can't. I might have been you, Tim. Someone sent me a little video. It was you, and. Uh, there was a message that said, we haven't even started yet, but the place is full of God. Sometimes I reckon we've got to catch up with what God's doing. Amen? Because, uh, you know, it's a principle. God can want to move and want to do something, but he needs a people who can actually rise up and connect with that. So that's a real important thing for this era that we're entering into. We need to be able to rise up. And, you know, when we spoke about the rising of a Romans 8 company, that's what we're talking about. Because uh, the reality is, is we're all human, we've, we've all got failures, we've all got limitations, you know, we've all got reasons why we can say no. But then we have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. And we can, we've got a choice. We can live by the flesh or by the Spirit. So Corey, uh, as he led the prayer meeting this morning, talked about how, you know, he'd been living in the flesh this week. Thanks, Corey, for the confession. (laughs) But we do, we live our life in the flesh. And we can be going really well. And then it's like we can fall out of the Spirit and we're back on planet Earth facing realities but we're facing them in the flesh but Paul who wrote the book of Romans he said it's no longer I that live but it's Christ that lives in me and the life that I now live I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave his life for me so Paul called from being someone who posed the gospel to being a father of faith learnt the trick of living in the Spirit. And God wants all of us to learn that. And in the last days, the last days for the church, the last days for the church are the days where the kingdom will be ushered in. And, uh, you know, we're in some kind of day right now, I tell you, there's stuff going on around the earth like never before. There's no new normal. Uh, it's a different day. But I want you to know this, it's our day. This is the day for the church to arise. So nearly every time you hear me pre- uh, preach or something, I'll, I'll be talking about the church coming to a new level or something like that because there's so much more. And God wants us to continually learn how to step out of the realm of the flesh into the realm of the spirit. We are called to live there. There's no condemnation for us. Actually, it's... uh, Now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So the, one of the features of this era that we are into is you're going to see this Romans 8 company rising up and taking their place. They're not ordinary believers. But they are breakthrough believers. They're finding a new space in God. 
And because they're finding a new space in God, they're actually clearing the ground on planet Earth for God to do something. So God does not want us to be ordinary. He wants us to be extraordinary. And you know, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 3. He talked about, you know, some of you behaving like mere men. Mere men. In other words, men in the flesh. But we are called to be more than that. You know, this church here in this city, its whole birthing has been extraordinary. What God's done in the last couple of years has been extraordinary. Now, I'll tell you how that happens. It's when ordinary people, ordinary people, you and me, because we are just ordinary, say yes to an extraordinary God. And every time we say yes to an extraordinary God, God can release his angels to do the extraordinary. It's no longer me. It's sort of like I'm out of my own strength now. And God has taken over and God's at work. And, you know, if we can learn to live like that, God's going to do something profound in our lifetime. Amen? So this season has been prophetically declared a new era of, uh, in God. And it's vital we know what it means, what that means. It's vital we understand what living in the flesh is and living in the spirit is. It's vital that we don't bring ourselves under condemnation, but we keep transitioning our life so that we, you know, one of the words that uh, Dr. Jonathan talks about, so that we change our address. Amen? We change our address. It's no longer we are residents here, but we are citizens there in every spiritual reality. So in every generation, that's an upward call. And, uh, you know, in my generation there was, and in the generation before that, but in every generation there's an upward call, and right now God's calling us upward to the next level. And some of us can say yes, some of us can say no, some of us can say not now, others can say but how. And, you know, as I bring the word each week, I want to give you keys that are going to help it make a smooth transition. Um, I read this last week. It's a saying of Smith Wigglesworth. He said this in 1946. When the current church phase is on the decline, there'll be something that has not been seen before. It will be a coming together of those with an emphasis on the word and those with an emphasis of the spirit. When the word and the spirit come together, there will be the biggest move of the Holy Spirit, the nation, and indeed the world has ever seen. And it will mark the beginning of a revival that will eclipse anything that has been witnessed. Smith Wigglesworth spoke that, 1946. I think he's talking about this generation and he's talking about us. God does not want us to be just ordinary. 
but he wants us to tap into the extraordinary. And you know, uh, we've been serving God all our life together and most of it's just been ordinary and mundane, day after day, living life, going to work, raising kids, you know, doing lots of hospitality, ordinary. But when you continually sow your life into the kingdom, saying yes to God, God does the extraordinary. And what he has done in our life here is extraordinary. But we've only just begun. So last time I preached, I spoke about the prevailing mindsets of the Romans 8 company. Because Romans 8, it talks about, in Romans 8, it says that the whole of the creation is groaning, it's waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And we see them in every generation. Like in the, you know, in the 50s, it was the healing movement. And, you know, great men and great women have done great things. These are a Romans 8 company. They're like the first fruits company. But now in this generation, according to that prophecy, which I just believe, you know, confirms what I said, what God is going to do on the earth is so extraordinary and amazing. People have never seen it before. It's going to touch the city. It's going to touch the nation. People who are hard nuts and you could not break through are going to fall on their knees and find Christ. I want to talk about the prevailing mindsets of the Romans 8 company. Because this company that God's raising up Now, let's come back a little bit. Romans chapter 8, it says the whole of the earth is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, the full-on manifestation. Now, in every generation, there are sons of God, but there is like a generation where things are so dark and so crazy, these ones are a standout. They're the sons of God. These ones have got a relationship with Jesus that is not religious. It is real. It is real. It's heartfelt and it's backed and confirmed by a transformed life. That's how you know. That's who we are. That's who we're called to be. Prevailing mindsets of the Romans 8 company. Number one... You know, I want to talk about the mind because this is really important. The big difference is in the mind, one of. When I gave the introductory message a couple of weeks ago, it talks in Romans 8, it says, if we set our minds on the things of the flesh, we die. If we set our minds on the things of the spirit, we live. So you've got to learn to set your mind right. Get your mind right. I need my mind right. And sometimes, because of what's gone on prior to church, prior to me coming to the Lord, is that the world can have my mind and there's even spiritual influence over my mind. It's like my mind is the battlefield. 
When I'm going well, I'm thinking right. And when I'm not going so well, I am thinking wrong. God wants us to think right, but not only think right, he wants us to have a Romans 8 mindset. It's like a prevailing mentality. What a prevailing mentality is, is that despite all the attacks that come, you just keep bobbing up again. Amen? You know, you get get betrayed, you get slapped around, you have health issues, you might even go broke, you, you, uh, things might go dreadfully wrong, but at the end of the day, you keep coming back and you keep manifesting uh, the sonship of God in your life because you have a prevailing mentality. So here's a couple of thoughts about this prevailing mentality of the Romans 8 company. Number one, the mind must be continually set on the presence of God. Do you know what? Our mind is always set somewhere. You're 24 hours of the day, right? And for the majority of that time, your mind will be focused in a certain direction. And that is determining your future. God wants us to have a prevailing mentality where our mind is continually set on the presence of God. This morning, as we worshipped, it's like we're going further into the presence of God. It's like when when, uh, those words were being put out there about angels and multitudes and tribes, you can see it. See, God wants us to help us think right. And this is where we need to continually, every day, come and find the presence of God. Because we are coming from a position. You know, when we, when we go to work every day, we are coming from a position. And that position is in, in the presence of God, or it is somewhere else. You know, Peter and John, in the book of Acts... You know, uh, they healed the cripple and, you know, they said, we know that these guys have been with Jesus. You could just tell. So one of the keys to, to being successful in life and having a Romans, uh, a Romans 8 and being part of this company is having your mindset right, that your prevailing mentality, it's like, the thing that you value the most is the presence of God. Now, Moses, he just said, I don't want to go anywhere without you, Lord. I don't want to lead these people without you. Because he knew the importance of the presence of God. When the presence of God was there, he was moving forward, he was advancing. But, you know, we have an adversary that wants to take us out of the presence of God and place us somewhere else. This will help you understand your struggles. But the primary thing every day is to be found in the presence of God. There's a book written by one of the old church fathers called Practicing the Presence of God. It's like something you've got to practice. You've got to learn. Even with worship, it's something that does not always come naturally. 
because we're not used of worshipping a God who created the heavens and the earth. When prior to finding out that he was there, we thought we were the centre of the universe. So worship does not always come natural. But when Jesus met the woman at the well, he said to her, the hour is coming when those that worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. This talks about a deep intimacy that we need with Jesus. We need an intimate, close, connected relationship with Jesus. And there are things that are contesting us and, and vying for our time so that it's like, it's like our flesh and our spirit are reacting to one another. Our flesh wants to eat chocolate. Our spirit wants to connect with God. Amen? The Bible actually says that the flesh wars against the spirit. Isn't that amazing? How God designed us. Flesh, but he put the spirit on the inside. And there's a war going on every day. There's a contest. You don't just normally, naturally want to get up and pray. You've got to train yourself. First priority is the presence of God. If we come from the presence of God, we'll continually advance in life. We'll do well. The kingdom of God will advance. Even Jesus himself showed the secret to great miracles where he went early in the morning and spent hours with his father. If he had to do it, guess what? We need to make that space in our life. So there are many things that are contesting for the presence of God. You know, for instance, if you make a a decision, I am going to give the hour seven till eight in the morning to God, you wait and see what will happen. All of a sudden, everyone else will want to make an appointment with you at some ridiculous hour in the morning. Because it's a spirit world and it's real. But, you know, this is what we need the most in our life is the presence of God. And it's what stops us from coming apart in our life. So we've got to find our way back to his presence. You know, when Adam sinned in the garden, the first thing that was happened, he was cut off from the presence. You know, our young people, this is the best advice I could give to you apart from the rest of the four or five points I'll give you this morning, is make your number one thing the presence of God. And a little bit of a challenge about the Christian music that we listen to is it does not always bring you into the presence of God. So we've got to find it, we've got to practice it, find our space there. It's a prevailing mindset that when things are happening and not going so well, we continually go back and be found in his presence again. Amen? When things are going wrong, we can run to the doctor, run to the, you know, the financiers, run to our friends, but we need to learn to run to God. 
Amen? And be found there in the presence of God. Number two, one of the prevailing mindsets of this Romans 8 company, the mind must be set on his purposes and priorities. This is how you set your mind. If you read Romans 8, it says, those that set their mind on the things of the flesh, those that set their minds. Do you know what that is? That is an individual who is making a decision to either set their mind on the flesh or the spirit. We do it every day. The mind must be set on the purposes and priorities of God. There is an assignment that we have in the city. The assignment is not this. I think this is the big mistake that we have made in the last generation. Everybody thought the church was the assignment. Going to church was the assignment. Well, everybody needs to go to church. Tells, tells you that in the Bible. But the church needs to be where you find your assignment. The church needs to have an assignment. So we need to be locked in on purpose and priorities. That's what I've been like day one. There's got to be a purpose for this. There's got to be a reason for this. And, you know, living out of that purpose and living out of that priority. And I really believe this is one of the things where, you know, you know it's great if you and the one that... Uh, well, this is one of the ways that you know God's called you to be with a specific person. You have the same purpose. You have the same purpose, the same passion to pursue destiny. If you don't share that, you're probably not called to be together. You know, this is one of the things that we need to find people that we can pursue destiny with. The mind must be set on the purposes and priorities of God. You get one life. You get so many years on this earth. Don't waste it. It'll come and it'll go. It'll be over before you know it. Live it purposefully. Live it passionately. Go hard after God. Don't live for promotion or profit or uh, retirement or status or anything else. Live for purpose. Live out your dream. Live out what God's put on the inside of you. Do it and be unrestrained. could be here or it could be somewhere else. It doesn't really matter. But live out what God's put in your heart. Do it. Set yourself free from restrictions that hold you back. Live passionately. Live with purpose and prioritize him, number one. Now, the way that works, as I'll tell you, it comes back to a local church. And the local church can be, there's just so many different expressions of the local church. 
I appreciate what Kat's done. She had this dream in her to go and live out her dream. Good on her. Do it. Do it. Do something extraordinary. Do you know what? I really believe this is a time for extraordinary behaviour. I tell you, working for 40 years to amass a superannuation fund, retiring and then being dead two years later is a rip-off. Live for a purpose. Live boldly, passionately. It's the mindset. You've got to be anchored to purpose. You've got to be anchored to it. And you know, part of that is being anchored to people of purpose. Because during my life, when, you know, I was having my ups and downs, I always had people in my life that were like an anchor to me. Not a God to me, they were like an anchor to me. And you need those people in your life. Because they represent purpose. You know, so many people, it's about them, it's about their ministry, it's about them on their own. Hey, don't get caught into that. Connect to something, connect to somewhere where something's happening and let's do something extraordinary together for God. Amen? I tell you what, the rest of the story's got to be written for this. This city is waiting for a people that will boldly invite them to church. We haven't started, not even started. Not even started. You know, my, uh, one of my uh, mentors was Pastor Clark Taylor. He was a radical man of faith that started the Christian Outreach Centre movement, or God used him to raise up that movement. And one of the things that happened to him, he was a big, wild stockman, got saved at a Billy Graham crusade back in the 50s, the first time Billy Graham came to to Australia. And Pastor Clark at that time, he was just a, you know, man in the outback. He had a Volkswagen. And uh, he got this idea, whatever God's given you, use that for the kingdom. So every Sunday... Clark was part of a little Presbyterian church in the country, something like that. So he got the Volkswagen out and he went around the towns picking up the kids in the Volkswagen and bringing them to church. Now, Clark could always tell a good story. He could tell you how 30 kids would fit in that Volkswagen. (laughs) But see, what's limiting us? You know, I tell you, to come to church to fill a religious requirement and have no passion to reach lost people is dysfunctional Christianity. Now, let's face it, we're all a bit dysfunctional. I read the prophetic word of uh, Smith Wigglesworth. It spoke that word there. He would, his vow is I'll lead somebody to Christ every day. 
and even at 10 to 12 at night, you know, he'd be out in the streets trying to find that person that he could lead to Christ. That's passion. That's purpose. Do you know why sometimes there's no great miracles? Because we're living in our confinement. Our comfort. But God wants to use us. God wants to raise up the D.L. Moody's again. The Billy Graham's again. These great men and women of faith who just won't accept no for an answer. Hey, I want our church to begin to talk and think about how we can radically invite our community to church every week. Do you know what? If we have Sundays where people are not finding the Lord, do you know what the problem is? It's us. It's us. We've lost our missionary endeavour. Now you go up to P&G and I'll tell you what, you'll recapture it, you know, when you stand in some of the places and hear some of the stories. We went to a place called Duke of York Island, I think it is. It's sort of up in East New Britain and we went out there and it's where the original missionaries first came in. They were missionaries, they left their home, they left their security to come to a place with no guarantees of everything. We were there when we heard the stories. It's Dolphins Bay. It's the most heavenly place because as we were coming in in the boats, there were literally 50, 60 dolphins around us. But in this place, there was a tribe there and when the early missionaries came in, they knew that to set foot on that ground was life-threatening. And that as they worshipped God, they prayed for a sign that, they, that this was a friendly crowd. And as they worshipped, the water changed temperature. That's what happened. It was a miracle. And when the native people realised what was happening, they welcomed them aboard, they welcomed them onto the land, and they were able to share the gospel, and that became the first outpost in P&G. Now, after they had consolidated their base, they went from there to Rabaul. And most of them were martyred. Do you know what? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This is where we've, we've commercialised church and we've made it a place where we're comfortable and we're arranged in rows. Never the way it was meant to be. We are called to be the church of the living God. To live in passionately, purposefully, with purpose, with missionary endeavour. We have got a nation to turn around. We've got a job to do. We get so worried about money. Money. I tell you, money's good. But God can solve your money problems overnight. If you live for money, God can remove your money overnight. Live according to purpose. This is how you live.
on that, the mind must be continually set on the supernatural provision of God. This is the mindset of the Romans 8 company. Provision is supernatural. It's supernatural. It's given by God. This building is given by God. Everything that I have has been given by God. The Apostle Paul himself, he said, I know what it's like to be abased and I know what it's like to abound. We get hung up about provision. This is one of the reasons why the church is unfruitful. Because we live our life in a certain way that does not involve God. But when you begin to realise that it is God that provides, that it's God that opens doors, that God can give a better job, that God can release supernaturally into your hands everything you need, it'll cause you to live differently. But do you know, Australian and the church in Australia has been materialistic and lived for the dollar. But, but in uh, Matthew chapter 6, 33, don't, don't even worry about it. You know, isn't it me that clothes the lilies of the field, the birds of the air? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything's going to be added. Everything is going to be added to you. Now, I tell you, this church in this era in the future is going to understand what it means to live under the provision of God. Supernatural. Supernatural provision. But the way that our society is structured now, the, the government is my shepherd. The government is my provider. Well, I tell you what, God is. God is. You know, we're in the stables. Uh, there's a fantastic documentary. I'll share it on our core group. It's about the Azusa Street Revival. And it talks about the birthing. Our, our roots go back to the day of Pentecost. But more recently as a church, our roots go back to what happened in Azusa Street, Los Angeles, Bonnie Bray Street. I had the amazing opportunity of visiting there about eight or nine years ago. And it was where a dozen or so people gathered in a home in Bonnie Bray House, Bonnie Bray Street, and they prayed for the move of God to come. They prayed for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. This is history. They prayed. They fasted. And I, and I think it was 40 days that they fasted for, but at the end of it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came and it was like a credible presence came into Bonnie Bray Street. The stories are about the, the men and women who gathered to pray there. They were very politically incorrect. There was a mixture of, uh, you know, black and white and men and women. They were going against the culture of the day to bring down heaven and God opened something up. And the story goes about how thousands of people would come to hear them preach in that street. And eventually they moved the revival to Azusa Street, which was an old stable. And that became the birthing place of the move of God that touched the nations. 
We are part of that move. Happened in a stable. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed until God came down. The stories of that stable are that the glory of God came and filled it and you can visibly see the presence of God there. And people came with their passports. They came to the meeting with their passports because they knew that God was sending people to the nations. Now listen, we are so tidy and so organised and so framed into how we should live that we can't see what God wants to do. Now, I don't know whether God's going to send you or me to the nations, but surely he's going to send us to our street. Get ready. This Romans 8 company needs to rise in our own church and it's going to be marked by passion. Boldness, fire. got lots of points here I better make this my last point for this morning actually it's only 10 2 I've got room for two points not that long that point was too long it's good to be married to a woman who just keeps you on track <laughs> I must be my spiritual father's son, hey, when he was here last time. Remember when he was here last time? Anyway, I won't tell that story. It's very good. Okay, two points, or maybe one, or maybe three. They're all good. They're really good points. (laughs) The mind must be set in a certain way. Coming back to it, your problem and my problem is my mind. It's how I see things. So it's where we need to learn to be able to really tap into that unseen realm, which is another thing. That's not the point I want to talk about. I'll stay on point. The mind must be set on the power of the cross. The mind must be set on the power of the cross. Do you know the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central event in history and it is the central symbol of history. It's the centre of everything and everything points back to the cross. When you take the New Testament and you take the Old Testament, the New Testament points forward to Christ, sorry, the Old Testament, points from day one, from the first book of Genesis, points to the cross. And the New Testament points back to an event that happened 2,000 years ago. This is history. At the centre of it is the cross. Do you know what? Without a revelation of the cross... People cannot enter eternity with Christ. Without a revelation of the cross, people cannot know God. 
Without a revelation of the cross, people cannot be saved. There is no salvation. There is no eternity. There's no life. There's no future. There's no hope. This is where every one of us must come to a point where we identify with what Jesus did on the cross. It's a central thing. And it's why in a moment we're going to take communion. This generation knows a lot of things, but it does not know the power of the cross. In contemporary church, there is being a worrying disconnect between the reality of reality of the cross and the services that we have and the lifestyle. It's true. You know, you don't hear songs about the blood. People have no understanding of the importance, the critical importance of the blood of Jesus Christ. There's something missing. Something has gone missing from the church in this generation because we don't want to present anything that is going to disturb people and create an uncomfortable situation for them. So we don't talk about the cross. In fact, there's no need for the cross. If I live life good enough, if I do well enough, I'm a success. I'll go to heaven. That's what it's like. But not according to the scripture. The scripture says something very different. It says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There's no remission of sins. Every day we've got to come back to the cross. So our mentality, one of the prevailing mentalities is the revelation of the cross. So the cross is a historical fact. It happened, we all know. People wear the cross around their neck. It's a symbol on uh, churches. One of the reasons we don't really get overly fussed about putting a cross up there is that it's external symbol. It needs to be on the inside. Now, when Paul came to the Corinthians, he said, I don't come to you with excellence of speech, declaring to you the wisdom of men. I come to you in the demonstration of the spirit and the power. And he said, I don't know anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you know what? This is the story we've got to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there is no way that we can satisfy God without a revelation of the cross. I'm a sinner. Paul, the father of the church, said, I am the chief sinner. In other words, without the cross, I'm lost. Do you know why so many people, Christians are lost now? Don't understand the cross. So they go back to their old nature. 
They go back and live in their carnal nature and accept all sorts of dysfunction. When all that stuff, we're meant to bring it to the cross. Do you know it says in uh, Galatians chapter 3 that Jesus became a curse for us so that we could be blessed. He became, we, when he became a curse on the cross, we became the righteousness of God in Christ. But we've got to identify with the cross. Now, let me make that relative to you. Nothing has ever gone wrong in your life. God is just taking you the way of the cross. Jesus went to the cross and he became sin on the cross. Now we are becoming the righteousness of God in Christ. But when we go through things on this earth, the cross is becoming a reality to me. Beautiful. You're going to have your bad days. You're going to have your days when you blow it. You're going to have your days when... You know, uh, you're going to hear reports that are not good, maybe about your own life or someone that you loved. Hey, don't, don't lose the plot because you get a bad report. Come back to the fact that God is making the cross real to you. Nothing's gone wrong. You know, the message of the cross, we need to learn to preach this, and, and tell people about this in a thousand ways. Jesus died for you. He died for me. I am not better than you. You are not better than me. We are all sinners. Every one of us. Every one of us. You know, one of the things that I've watched is that people live out of their own resources and don't identify with the provision of the cross. Jesus provided a, was, a, was the Lamb of God provided by the Father to take away the sin of the world. You know, it was where the name Jehovah Jireh was given to God, was when Abraham took Isaac up to Mount Moriah and the Lord provided a sacrifice there. He said, Don't touch the boy. Do you know what? The cross is the most important symbol. God set it up so well. Our revisionist historians are trying to remove it. But this year, 2021, represents the post-Christian era or the, post, uh, the life after Christ. It's a reality. It happened. Jesus died for you, died for me. Yes, you'll have your bad days, but we need to identify with the cross. You know, Lynn and myself have served God together since our honeymoon. And some things have gone really right and really wonderful, most things. And some things, you think, oh, gee, I wouldn't have done that. We've had issues, we've had loss. 
And, you know, you can go, something went wrong and you can become bitter about that. But this is what you've got to do. You'll nail your feelings and your beliefs to the cross and you separate yourself from it. It's like your old nature must become crucified. That's where this generation, you know, uh, the big problem that we have in this generation is Christianity without the cross. So we have rights, all sorts of rights, and we don't know who's who and what's what. But God's made provision. It's awesome, really. It's a wonderful thing that Jesus has died for us. You know, uh, churches now may be going a year without having communion. And, you know, I think we can become very religious about communion. And I understand maybe why some people don't factor that in. But do you know what? The message of the cross is an offence to people. And I believe that's the reason that it's being removed from the church. Very dangerous. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone really wants to be my disciple, do you know what you've got to do? Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. That's the key to joy. It's the key to deep joy on the inside. It's awesome. This is how we're called to live. Do you know what all those guys that found the Holy Spirit in the dust of the stables in Azusa Street and took their passports there were not miserable about where God was sending them? It was a joy. You know, the scripture says you need to get ready. It's one, I think it's 1 Peter 3.15. It talks about how we need to be ready to give a hope, a reason for the hope that we have. It's a bit hard when you're more miserable than the people you're talking to, though. (laughs) Because you think you're hard done by. But when you have a revelation of the truth, you're thinking, man... I've really blown it, I've really cooked it and Jesus still loves me. How good's that? We've got a message to tell this city. People go, it's not for me. Well, mate, you better think about that. You and I better develop the courage to change people's minds. There are some darn good people who are about ready to slip away to a Christless eternity. Because I'm too comfortable to rattle their cage. Man, I tell you, we better get bold about this. 
We better get armed with our invites. We better get loaded up. I find it hard to believe that people that I love could end up separated from Christ eternally. If you read the Bible, it's clear. It's what it says. You know, we've got some people we love. We've got to find a way of communicating the message a thousand different ways. We've got to bring them to the point where they will hear the message of the cross. Don't fall into the trap of making thousands of friends, but you haven't joined them to the family of God. Amen. This is time. We've got to invite the city in a thousand different ways. Do you know if... if uh, uh, Lynn's sister is like on an evangelism team. She's very good. And she says, if, two, if, if people say yes to these two questions, they will most likely answer to the third question. Do you believe in God? Just about everybody says yes. Do you think that Christianity has been a good thing for our nation? If they answer yes, they'll come to church. We've got a job to do. Amen. We've got an assignment. Get down here on Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. to pray. Come on, some of you guys think, oh, I'm not going to evangelize. Well, maybe you need evangelizing. <laughs> Honest. Like, talk to people about Jesus. You know, there's a, oh, you know. No, no, no. Come on. People are depending on you and me. It's time. I know, I know the angels are going to go out. And begin to gather people. But they won't while you're being naughty. Lucky it was only one point, Lynn. Is that enough? Only 15 minutes. On that one point, 15 minutes. <laughs> Behind every man of God, there is a good woman. <laughs> wow. Gosh, Amy, that was awesome this morning. Man, what a church we got. Liesl, man, that was just great this morning. What a blessing, eh? The way you prayed, I knew you should pray this morning. Do you know what? Everything's in place here. It's the rest of us that have got to do something now. We've got to take this transformational message, good news. Now, bad news is you can come to church with the rest of us and be miserable. That's bad news. I'm still on that last point, Dale. <laughs> Good news, good news is Jesus, we're all sinners, we deserve judgment, we deserve eternity in the nick. But Jesus has paid the price and there's a way out. We've got to find a way every day to tell that story. Amen. If we're not doing it, something has not yet computed on the inside, something is not quite right. Amen.